Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go down and go to hell. I'm going to come out and run. Time for 911. Where's your emergency? Oh, this is Sandy. We're pretty one look. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out, that's when the cannibalism started, eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now Carl Williams means to a copy tail and just pull the head of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little Cherub, cherub face, cherub face little boy who would, who, 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 whose life would be... I harm someone each time I kill someone to be an enormous amount of uh, uh, Especially at first, an uh, enormous amount of, of uh, horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. Matthew Brady and the most vile Mark Jeffries were bushranger highwaymen in the wilds of Tasmania in the 1820s. Although they were both escaped convicts on the lam and being hunted by the constabulary, they had little in common. Matthew Brady was considered chivalrous, a man who used violence only in self-defence. Dubbed the gentleman bushranger due to his fine manners and his way with the ladies, Brady was charming and a little bit mischievous with a cheeky sparkle in his eye. The most vile Mark Jeffries was not like Matthew Brady. Beyond his dead-eyed stare was an empty perverted soul who just wanted to watch the world burn, possibly while he had non-consensual sex with it. Jeffries was a sadist, a ruthless killer, a sexual predator, a baby executioner and a cannibal. Both were being hunted by the notorious bounty hunter Batman. John Batman. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. Being a comedy true crime podcast means that we use dark humour as a means to tell horrifying stories, but never at the expense of the victims or their loved ones. If you think humour has no business being associated with tragedy, then Bloody Murder may not be the podcast for you. Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. We've had quite a few generous souls join our new fancy Patreon program, which we will thank individually after our story. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. As a patron, you have access to loads of other episodes, including our rustic and hyperventilating first season and ad-free versions of all our regular 
regular episodes. As well as exclusive monthly uncensored patron-only episodes where we take no prisoners. Levels above $5 receive free stickers and handmade Barney badges, which may include chest hairs. Yeah, in fact, it's likely that they do. And of course, you're automatically entered into the draw for our monthly giveaways. All right, Tara, let's get murdery. Matthew Brady was born in Manchester, England in 1799 to Irish parents. He grew up to be a kind and considerate young man. As a teenager, the well-mannered Brady secured employment as a gentleman's servant. It is also reported that he worked as a groom. Known for his horsemanship, Brady gained a reputation as a competent and graceful rider. With a mop of brown wavy hair, striking sideburns and dreamy blue eyes, Brady was popular with the townsfolk. And even more popular with the ladies. On April 17, 1820, Brady was convicted of stealing a basket containing some butter, bacon, sugar and rice, a crime he said he did not commit. He was tried at the Lancashire Quarter Sessions held at Salford. Some sources say he was also charged with forgery for doodling his master's name on a cheque to pay off a debt. Matthew Brady was sentenced to seven years of hard labour and transported to Australia. According to convict records, Brady sported two tattoos, one of a man and a woman on his left arm and a fish and the letters TB on his right arm. I'm pretty sure the TB stood for Tara and Barney. The man was a visionary. What did the fish stand for? Fishiness. He was rather suspicious of us. Rightly so. Mm -hmm. Sailing on the Juliana with 159 other convicts, Brady arrived in Van Diemen's Land, now named Tasmania, on December 28, 1820. It had not been a pleasant journey, Tara. Brady was shocked to see convicts were flogged until their backbones were exposed through mangled, bleeding flesh. He was also appalled to see convict women raped on the Juliana by officers and then unloaded like cattle to be selected by free settlers. Incarceration did not agree with Matthew Brady. He was used to the finer things in life and not the totalitarian brutality of the English penal system. On March 28, 1821, he was reported for neglect of duty in the service of William Brest. For this travesty, Brady copped 25 lashes. It is very important not to neglect your breast duties. On November 17th, he was dobbed in for plotting and conspiring to escape from the colony. Brady was reported to be transported to such part of the territory as his honour the Lieutenant Governor may deem proper for the remainder of his original term of transport. So, like, where? Somewhere shit. He was already somewhere shit. He's a convict. Somewhere even shitter. (laughs) Okay. The following year, on November 4th, 1822, according to his records, Brady was charged with being dishy in the convict barrack. He was found not guilty. Dishy like attractive? Brady, stop being so damn good looking in the convict barrack. I can't help it. I'm just naturally hot, okay? (laughs) Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Three weeks later, he was charged with intent to escape from the colony, for which he received 50 lashes and to be confined in a cell in the convict barrack one week with immediate secession of chocolate rations. He has to stay home for a week. Poor guy. And no chocolate. Yeah, I think you might have made that bit up. I don't think they had chocolate rations. No, they didn't really. Yeah, that's a Barneyism if ever I saw one. On May 3rd, 1823, Brady was busted, leaving his gang and being absent three days. That got him another 50 lashes. The following month, Brady was charged for being absent in the wood. For that, he got 100 of the best, belts off, trousers down. The writing in the convict report now becomes a bit illegible. This is all we could make out. With dates out of order, there are two lots of 100 lashes, 
one lot of 50 lashes and two lots of 25 lashes. I'm beginning to think Matthew Brody was into it. He probably wasn't. Yeah, but imagine how great a time he'd be having if he was. Who wasn't into it, Tara, were the authorities who classified him as an incorrigible and dangerous criminal. Because of his rebellious attitude and the fact that the whipping was clearly not working, Brady was sent to the notorious and inescapable penal settlement at Sarah Island in Macquarie Harbour. Here, he promptly escaped and took 13 other convicts with him. (laughs) As leader of the gang, Brady laid down the rules. They must neither injure the defenceless nor molest females, but could kill traitors, take revenge and steal anything they bloody well liked. What ensued was what can only be called a massive crime spree. Armed with stolen pistols, they robbed and pillaged homesteads and townships all over Tasmania. Commanding a stolen whale boat, Brady and his gang sailed down the south coast to the River Derwent. Luckily for them, one of his gang members had been a Royal Navy navigator. Upon arrival, Brady made himself known to the people of Old Hobart Town, which was their new Hobart Town, by robbing them. The gang became known as Brady's Bunch, I shit you not. During one hold-up of a man named Taylor, the occupants of the house fought back, resulting in two of Brady's men being caught. In September 1824 at Launceston, both men were hanged for their crimes. According to the History of Australian Bushranging, Volume 1 by Charles White, which was published in 1900, on one occasion the gang were near Oatlands and were recognised by a young boy. He warned Brady that there were soldiers in a nearby hut. The boy worked as a cook for the soldiers and did not particularly like them. The lad said, But never mind, we'll beat them, wait a bit, they are tired hungry. I'll get in their supper and when they are feeding you rush them. But the guns, replied Brady. Oh, they're all right in the corner of the hut. All you have to do is come softly along when they're at supper. Lay hold of the pieces and the work is done. Oh, the artful Barney. It was dusk when the traitorous cook carried in the chops and tea. Suddenly a noise was heard at the door. The soldiers looked round to find they were each covered by a man with a loaded musket. The Brady Bunch tied them up, robbed the house and departed, Brady taking with him the lad who wanted to join the gang. Can I come with you? No, you sound like the artful dodger and I don't like it. Two settlers later caught this boy and a mate asleep under a tree and shot both of them dead. Oh, fuck, I was just having a sleep. (laughs) For this act, the settlers each received a free grant of land from the governor. They were all really into, like, vigilante justice back then, weren't they? Yeah, killing children, nice. Yeah, they would have loved the equaliser. He was always doing a bit of vigilante stuff. Forever preening in reflective surfaces, Brady thought himself a dandy and a gentleman. Although he would hold up people at gunpoint, Brady had scruples. He would never rob or insult women. He wouldn't go well on the internet, would he? (laughs) Troopers didn't care and considered him a dangerous bushranger and officers were dispatched to capture the handsome rabble-rouser. Rewards offered by the government were increased from 25 guineas to 100 guineas to 300 acres of land. One gang member, who had asked a servant girl for a kiss, was at once knocked down by Brady for being ungentlemanlike. Oh, jeez, buy a girl a drink first. Brady and his second in charge, McCabe, went on a recruitment drive and enlisted other men into their gang, including a deserter from a whaling ship named Thomas Kenton. The gang also set up an extensive intelligence network. 
1826, Thomas Kenton was flying the white cloth from a window of one of their hideout huts, which was a sign that it was all clear. As Brady and McCabe approached the hut, a squad of soldiers hiding in the bush rushed out at the unsuspecting men. McCabe escaped by running up a hill, but Brady was captured. After tying him up, the soldiers went in pursuit of McCabe, but Brady managed to burn through his ropes to free himself and escaped. He burnt through them because he was so hot. I like that McCabe escaped by running up a hill. Oh, no I one mean, likes running up hills. I know. What, what Was that his plan? What are you going to do if the soldiers come? What will you do, McCabe? Mm. Well, I'll just run up a hill. Yeah. Next, Brady's gang held up the whole township of Sorrell, which comprised of about a dozen residents. The gang also surprised and captured the local garrison and set the prisoners free. The troopers, who had actually been out hunting the Brady Bunch, came home to the very same gang in their barracks. The troopers were disarmed and in an outrageous turn of events lodged in the lockup reserved for common criminals. Oh, the audacity. Brady let it be known that the true criminals were in fact the authorities. After the gang captured the town of Sorrell, released all the convicts and locked up the troopers, Brady unlocked the rum hut and led the town in celebration. He knows what the people want. The whole turn of events put the local constabulary's pantaloons in a real twist. They were also a bit butthurt because their garrison commander, Lieutenant William Gunn, had copped a round in the arm from Brady. The lieutenant's arm went a bit green and had to be amputated. This celebrated military man whose sole job it was to bring in bushrangers had failed. He had not got his man and was forced to retire on a colonial pension for his patriotic exertions. This would not do. Governor Sir George Arthur got all shouty crackers and immediately posted a massive reward for the capture of Brady and his merry men. The princely sum of £25 and a conditional pardon. Later, Brady posted his own reward, 20 gallons of rum to any person who would deliver Governor Arthur to him. Brady had galloped up to the front door of the Royal Oak Hotel at Crossmarch and after nailing a note to the door, rode off. The poster read, It has caused Matthew Brady much concern that such a person known as Sir George Arthur is at large. Twenty gallons of rum will be given to any person that will deliver his person onto me. I also caution John Priest that I will hang him for his ill treatment of Mrs Blackwell at Newtown. Signed M. Brady. Unfortunately, we couldn't find out what John Priest did to Mrs Blackwell, but considering the time period, I imagine it wasn't good. Although Brady was pretty pleased with his wanted poster lark, he still wanted to get back at Governor Sir George Arthur a little bit more. The best revenge is living well. That'll show him. Well, Brady sent a message to the governor telling him if he didn't get off his back, he would attack his friend and prominent grazier Richard Dry, who lived near Launceston. The governor, in his wisdom, chose to disregard this threat. Brady kept his word, capturing the whole house, the entire family and guests. He had a wonderful time, and so did the women. He danced with them and sang for them at the piano. But unbeknownst to Brady and his current gang of 14, a servant managed to escape and run to town to raise the alarm. Help! Police! Women are having fun and it has to stop! What do you think he played on the piano? I remember when Rock was young. young. <laughs> oh, yeah. I bet he got shown some ankle later that day. <laughs> Woo. So much sexy ankle. Oh, yeah. A posse of troopers responded and a gunfight ensued. No one was killed and the Brady Bunch slipped away into the night. 
Matthew Brady had not killed anyone so far, but revenge burned deep in his handsome heart. And his dreamy blue eyes. <laughs> Brady had thought Thomas Kenton and him were good mates. He could not and would not forgive Kenton's diabolical betrayal. On Sunday, March 5th, 1826, Brady found him nursing a pint at the Cocked Hat Inn and after informing Kenton why he was going to die, Brady shot Thomas Kenton in the head. This was a bit too intense for two Brady Bunch gang members, Cohen and Callahan. They did not want to be party to murder, so they gave themselves up to the police. A day later, the Tasmanian Advertiser newspaper reported that after Kenton's murder, Brady's gang wounded two other men. It was also reported, At 8 o'clock last night, some of the party set Abraham Walker's stacks on fire and the whole of his harvest was destroyed, together with a new barn. The quantity of wheat destroyed could not have been less than 2,000 bushels and the loss cannot be estimated at less than 1,000 pounds. That's a lot of bushels. Ah, that's a fuckload of bushels, man. Later, Brady and his gang captured a boat, intending to sail it to the Australian mainland. But the sea was angry that day. With waves the size of really big waves, the gang were forced to turn back. During the two years that Brady was at large, he managed to piss off a lot of wealthy landowners as well as the governor. He fought dozens of running gun battles with government troops and private settlers. Although Brady's gang was being thinned out, Governor Arthur had more devious plans to end the Brady Bunch's reign of terror once and for all. He had planted a traitor in Brady's gang and had let loose the notorious bounty hunter named Batman. We'll be back with more of Gentleman Brady and Vile Jeffries after this. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you hey knucklehead yes what's it say on your watch true crime nerd time Woo! True crime True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your true crime itch. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it and we'll read it out. And we have one here from Davis. And he writes, Barney and Tara. A new study sought to determine if it is, in fact, truly possible to hire a hitman on the dark web in order to carry out a contract killing, and the answer is basically probably not. 
but we found some sketchy stuff that kind of checks out. The academic paper of the Michigan State University looked at 24 hitmen for hire sites on the dark web and found that lots of them were basically elaborate frauds designed to extract a couple of grand in Bitcoin from various internet morons who got a little bit too ticked off for their own good. Somewhat distressing, though, is that the price structure listed actually fell pretty consistently with what previous research determined to be the going rates of genuine hitmen. $11,000 in Australia and $18,000 in merry old England. Oh, we're a bit tight here, huh? Yeah, you know. Davis put a link to a New York Times uh, article about it titled, Can You Really Hire a Hitman on the Dark Web? And it reads, in part, a collection of online stores offer murder for pay. Researchers say they are scams, but people who want someone dead aren't listening. On a website called Azerbaijani Eagles, you can commission a murder for $5,000. The site Slayer's Hitman provides more options, with a beating going for $2,000, and death by torture costs $50,000. Well, that's a bit more work, really, isn't it? No, it's it? a lot more work. You know? It's a lot messier. Gotta, you... It's just it's not nice. You have to have lots of tools. Yeah, I suppose I guess. so. I don't, I, don't really, hmm. I don't really like that one. No, thank you. But, Tara, don't expect someone to get the job done. Experts and law enforcers who have studied these sites, almost all of them on the so-called dark web, say they are scams. There has not been a known murder attributed to any of them. I mean, you can't just like go to the police and say, look, I paid these people to murder my wife and... They didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. You won't be um, looked upon kindly and have them get your money back for you, will they? That means that the sites aren't involved in a very dark trade. They have become catch points for real people who are looking to pay to have someone whacked. And a number of men and women are sitting in jail after paying one of these sites and getting caught by the cops. In one of the most recent cases to make its way through the courts, a nurse from Illinois was sentenced to 12 years in prison after pleading guilty to sending $12,000 in Bitcoin to the site Sicilian Hitman International Network. That sounds legit. <laughs> she had hoped to have the wife of her boyfriend killed. Well, thanks, Davis. That's very interesting. Don't you think, Tara? Absolutely. And also, like, that mm. would be so shattering. You get sentenced to 12 years in prison and you lose your 12 grand. That's, yeah. that's not a good deal. I'm not going back. I'm going to write no. them a one-star review for sure on Yelp. So we'll put the link to that article in the show notes if you want to read that story in full. Now, if you'd like to submit to True Crime Nerd Time, visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for instructions on how to contribute. Hey guys, it's Melissa and Mandy with the Moms and Murder podcast. We're a true crime podcast that's sure to make you laugh without compromising the seriousness of the content. Despite our name, we aren't just for the moms. Our show is for all the Diet Coke drinking, chicken loving, Dateline watching people in your life. Come for the murder and stay for the witty humor and pop culture references. And you never know, you may even hear from some of your favorite names in the world of true crime, like Dateline's Josh Mankiewicz. Do you have a preference on what we call you, Josh Mankiewicz, Manx, Sir Manx-a-lot? Uh, I don't hear Sir, Sir Manx-a-lot quite as often as I... <laughs> I can make it happen for you. Broken Homicide's Derek Lavasser. Are you tearing up on me? I saw you <laughs> So beautiful, everything you're saying. <laughs> or even America's sweetheart, Ali Sweeney. The neighbor suggested that perhaps Kathleen had been attacked by... An owl. The owl theory um, that Melissa and Allie Sweeney believe. Again, so judgy. <laughs> Check out Moms and Murder anywhere podcasts are found. And now back to Gentleman Brady and Vile Jeffries. Meanwhile, another bush ranger was terrorizing the wilds of Van Diemen's Land, the most vile Mark Jeffries. 
Mark Jeffries was born in Dorset, England in 1790. Not much is known about his formative years, but what we do know is that he was convicted of poaching at the Dorset Quarter Sessions. This was not Jeffries' first offence, Tara. He had already served three months on the prison hulk orderly for another egg-related crime. Scrambling. Scrambling. <laughs> that was a terrible joke, was it? I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> I don't, I, you know what? I just don't know anymore. On May 17th, 1823, he was transported to Australia for seven years. Sailing on the Albion with 199 other convicts, he arrived in Van Diemen's Land on October 21st, 1823. In June 1825, Jeffries was sentenced to 12 months in the nasty Macquarie Harbour Penal Settlement for threatening to stab a constable by the name of Lawson. Two months later, the guards dug his vibe and his cruel and insensitive nature and gave him a job. Jeffries was transferred to Launceston Jail and appointed watch housekeeper and chief flagellator, as in the guy who whipped the other prisoners. Jeffries took pride in his work and thoroughly enjoyed his new vocation. This is like one of the nuttiest plot twists I've ever heard. Yeah. Like, come on, you seem like a sadistic asshole. Let's get you up here helping us with that. You're an asset to the team. On August 25th, 1825, he was fined half of his flogging salary for falsely imprisoning and sexually assaulting a woman by the name of Mrs. Jessop. In October of the same year, Jeffries was busted again, this time for luring a female prisoner out of the watch house and into his room. For this, he was fined 20 shillings. As much as Jeffries enjoyed his work inflicting pain on other prisoners, he began to think that the guards did not appreciate his work as a sexual predator. If only he'd worked in Hollywood, he would have gotten so many awards. On December 31st, 1825, Mark Jeffries and three of his convict mates, Perry, Russell and Hopkins, escaped from the Launceston Watch House. They immediately robbed the hut of Mr Barnard. Next, they busted into the house of a settler called Tibbs, about five miles from Launceston. Tibbs was there with his wife, who had a five-month-old baby at her breast. Also at the house was a neighbour called Basham. They were all having a few drinks and playing cards. The Colonial Times would later describe Mrs Tibbs as a young and respectable woman whom had been married about two years. Mrs Tibbs later said Mark Jeffries was dressed in a fancy long black coat, a red waistcoat and sporting a rather fetching kangaroo skin cap. He was calling himself Captain. Captain of what, Tara? I couldn't say. Yeah, captain of nothing. Yeah, that sounds about right. When Jeffries and his gang tried to tie up the men, they said fuck this and resisted. A punch-on ensued and in the struggle, Mr Tibbs and Basham were shot. Basham informed Jeffries that he would see him later in hell and promptly keeled over and died. Tibbs, although seriously wounded, managed to cling to life and called Jeffries a sarding nashgab smell fungus. A sarding nashgab smell fungus. Man, that really feels good in your mouth, doesn't it? It really does. It was a pretty bad insult in, on, in the day, though. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, well, he deserved it. Well, the gang didn't care for Tibbs' colourful language. They bid him good day and took their leave. On the way out, Mark Jeffries took Mrs Tibbs by the arm and demanded her and her baby, named John Isaac Tibbs, accompany them. Mr Tibbs, although bleeding profusely, managed to crawl out of the house and was contrived to give an alarm. According to the Colonial Times, the whole town of Launceston, with one accord, rushed out after the murderous villains, but the unhappy female and her child were gone. The ruffians had made good their escape. 
Walking at a rather brisk speed, Jeffries was annoyed when Mrs. Tibbs could not keep pace. Also, the cries of her crotch fruit upset his delicate ear nubs. The next bit takes a sharp turn into shit town, so just, you know, be warned. Jeffries snatched the baby John out of the arms of Mrs. Tibbs and holding the infant by the feet, swung him against a tree, bashing his tiny head against the trunk, killing him. Jeffries then raped Mrs. Tibbs. Whoa. I know. Can we talk about Brady again? He was so much cooler. The next day, Mrs. Tibbs managed to escape and return to what the media described as her forlorn residence. Baby John's remains, which had been partly devoured by animals, were discovered about a week later. Heading across mountainous country and dense rainforests with two others, Russell and Hopkins, Jeffries suggested that they toss a coin to see which of them should be eaten by the others. Russell lost the toss and went to sleep, thinking that it had been a joke. But it was not. Whilst Russell enjoyed his deep slumber, Jeffries shot him in the head. The thing is, they hadn't even run out of food. Jeffries was just hungry for some human burger. Yeah, well, Jeffries would actually later tell the Hobart Town Gazette that Russell's body was cut into steaks and fried up with the mutton from a sheep they stole. They lived on it for four days. So they already had a sheep? Yes. They could have eaten they that. They could have, but they didn't. They wanted some sheepy, human-y, like, creepy hybrid yums. <laughs> uh, and it only took them four days to eat it. Greedy fuckers. I know. They... Is there any more Russell left? They were... No, we ate all that. They were gorging Damn. themselves on their friend. Like, ah, uh, So much Russell yum. <laughs> Eventually, Jeffries reached the settled areas of the state's north where his vicious spree continued. On Christmas Day in 1825, his gang held up two farm workers. One ran away, but Jeffries wounded the other one before catching up with the runner and shooting him dead. Merry Christmas! On January 11th, 1826, Jeffries shot copper Constable Magnus Baker from Georgetown in the head. He did not survive because, I mean, you usually don't. For good reason, Mark Jeffries was reviled and hated across the state. Everyone despised him and the only help he received was at the end of his guns. It was kind of the opposite with the Brady Bunch. Matthew Brady and his gang could seem to do no wrong. Well, not compared to that horrible, horrible Jeffries. Brady was aided by persons sympathetic to him and his popular reputation as a man who used violence only in self-defence made the ladies swoon. Brady's favour meant he rarely had to insist when relieving travellers of their cash. Hey, baby! Brady enforced his code of conduct on the other gang members with aplomb. When his partner and BFF McCabe threatened a settler's wife, Brady shot him through the hand, flogged him and threw him out of the gang. Later McCabe was captured, but remained loyal. He refused to betray Brady, even though he was to be hanged. Brady also made a point of rewarding human decency when he saw it. On one occasion, Brady returned some stolen property to a surgeon after he discovered that the doc had once intervened on behalf of a convict that was being brutally flogged. The more popular Brady had become, the more people wanted to join his gang and the harder it was to control them. At one time, there was 25 in his gang and 100 others trying to emulate him. One day, another prominent bushranger, the despicable Jeffries, tried to join the gang. 
and they actually let him what? in. But once Brady found out who he was, he was immediately ejected under pain of death. Jeffries wandered away muttering. This did not please Jeffries, who swore revenge. Why would a sadist like Jeffries want to join a nice gang anyway? Maybe he thought they had some Russell to eat. Meanwhile, soldiers concealed themselves among the luggage on drays and were driven through lonely paths in the bush in the hope of coming upon Brady or some of his gang. It didn't work. The Brady Bunch spotted them from miles away. Around this time, the Colonial Times newspaper reported that the bushrangers were being pursued by at least 400 soldiers, 100 armed prisoners and a considerable local interior constabulary. The newspapers found it a most unaccountable circumstance that 14 armed men had been able to evade capture on such a small island and concluded that there must be something wrong somewhere. <laughs> Brady's fight against the governor was one that he could only ever lose. As we mentioned earlier, the governor had sent out convicts to join Brady's gang so they could betray him. One of Governor Arthur's spies, a convict called Cohen, managed to infiltrate the gang. He told the soldiers where the Brady Bunch was hiding. Brady escaped, but a short time later he was shot in a leg in a skirmish near Launceston. Badly wounded, Brady limped into the bush. Little did he know, Tara, he was being hunted by the notorious bounty hunter Batman. Batman, well, John Batman, is a bit of a controversial historical figure. The artist John Glover, Batman's neighbour in Van Diemen's Land, said that Batman was a rogue, thief, cheat and liar, a murderer of blacks and the vilest man I have ever known. Batman would later found the city of Melbourne, declaring, This is a sweet-ass place for a hipster village. Or something like that, and naming the place Batmania. It was later realised that this was a bit of a stupid name and it was renamed Melbourne after Queen Victoria's confidant, Lord Melbourne. But I like Batmania. I would love to live in Batmania. I like Batmania too. I know, where are you from? Batmania. There are a lot of bats here, so it would make sense. Ten years later, Batman was diagnosed with syphilis. The disease made his nose fall off and caused him to go insane. In his last months of life, Batman screamed nonsense at people while being wheeled around in a wicker pram by his Aboriginal servants. Yeah, apparently it was quite a sight to see. Well, yeah, I guess it would be. Um, did they did they give him a mask of any kind or did he just sort of go no-nose, like, just out there, like, check it out? Well, it was an enclosed pram. Oh. It was all wicker. So he just looked through the cracks. Oh, right. So it was kind of like he was in a wicker basket on wheels. Yeah, and he'd just scream at people. Do some syphilitic screeching at people walking past. I'm Batman! Mark Jeffries was also being hunted by Batman, pre-syphilis. On January 23rd, 1826, on the bank of the South Esk River near Evandale, Jeffries was captured without a fight by Batman and his posse. After being brought to Launceston, the townsfolk turned out to lynch him. Well, you would. After troopers secured him safe in jail, Jeffries told the coppers all he knew of the locations, movements and habits of other bushrangers, including the dreamy Brady Bunch. When Brady heard about this, he had to be argued out of leading his gang in a frontal assault on the Launceston locker, freeing all the prisoners, dragging Jeffries out and kicking the snot out of him. Two months later, Batman found Brady limping in the bush near a shallow creek. 
With his finger on the trigger, Brady called out, Are you a soldier, officer? Batman was wearing a frock coat and a foraging cap and replied, I'm no soldier, Brady. I'm Batman. Surrender. There is no chance for you. (laughs) For a moment or two, Brady communed with himself and then said, You are right, Batman. My time has come. I will yield to you because you are a brave man. Damn right I am. Suffering a lot of pain due to his bad leg wound, Brady did as he was asked. Batman handed over Brady to authorities at Launceston Jail. In preparation for his trial, it was apparent that Brady had become a popular hero. Dozens of petitions for clemency arrived at Government House. Women shed tears for the gentleman who had shown them such consideration and hotness. His cell was filled every day with visitors bringing baskets of flowers, fan letters, fruit and fresh-baked cakes. Yum! Even the troopers that Brady had locked up in Sorrel came to pay their respects. What if Batman came to visit him? I don't know if Batman would have Probably done that. Not. He wouldn't. Well, if he did, he wouldn't no. have bought him a cake. No. <laughs> what do you think he would have said if he visited him? Come on, Batman. I'm Batman. Rah! Brady was charged with an assortment of offences, including the murder of Thomas Kenton. He pleaded guilty and was sentenced to death by hanging. When the sentence was passed, women wept in court. Oh, Brady. Oh, Matthew Brady. The judge then asked if he had anything to say. Brady stood up straight, puffed out his chest and said, A bushranger's life is wretched and miserable. There is constant fear of capture and the least noise in the bush is startling. There is no peace, day or night. When asked why he didn't just surrender, he said, Because I knew it would end this way and I wanted to live as long as I could. Lots of people signed a petition to save Brady's life. It didn't help. He had pissed off far too many wealthy and powerful people. Mark Jeffries, who had informed on Brady, was tried the same day and charged with multiple murders. The Hobart Gazette reported, When Mrs Tibbs came into court and her eyes glanced on the insatiate murderers of her babe, she was so affected as to be unable to stand. Her situation powerfully excited the commiseration of everyone present. The bare recital of the dreadful journey which the monster had compelled her to take with him in the woods was a painful addition to her suffering. When it was necessary for her to look at the prisoners in order to prove their persons, the suddenness with which she withdrew her eyes and the tears with which the effort was accompanied was an instant of detestation more strongly depicted than any assembler of spectators perhaps ever witnessed. No women wept when Mark Jeffries was sentenced to death. But all the babies in the vicinity yelled out, Suck it, asshole." Matthew Brady, Mark Jeffries and four other criminals were to be hanged together on the infamous six-person gallow on May 4th, 1826. The Hobart Town Gazette reported, It is with great pain that we state that most of the men convicted of robbery and murder in jail, whose days of probation must now of a necessity be very short, continue with hardened and untouched consciences. Apparently insensible of their approaching fate, Jeffries is said to have been brought at last to a sense of his unhappy state. But Brady excites both disgust and compassion at his insensibility. The whirl of his late lawlessness and dissipated life seems scarcely to have subsided, with malice of forethought and at the instigation of the devil. On the way to the gallows, women threw flowers at Matthew Brady and babies threw up on Mark Jeffries. Matthew bowed to the sobbing crowd, then accepted his fate. 
He was recorded as facing the sentence with the utmost fortitude and firmness. How big were his balls, Tara? The size of really big balls. I mean, that's what they wrote in the papers at the time. It was also reported that Mark Jeffries appeared much agitated and prayed fervently with the Reverend Bedford and seemed penitent. Yeah, well, he would now, wouldn't he? Brady mounted the scaffold above a sea of faces contorted in grief. His last act of defiance was to bitterly protest at having to stand on the same gallows with the likes of Mark Jeffries. The Reverend Bedford commenced with reading aloud a portion of scripture. Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man also shall his blood be shed. Which I think like logically means that then the people who kill those guys have to get killed. And then the people who killed those guys have to get killed. Well, that's actually what Batman said. If, if you kill a murderer, you still have a murderer. Yeah, the good Batman, though, not the bad Batman, right? No, not bad Batman, <laughs> <Okay>. good Batman. <laughs> the Reverend then went on to say, The unhappy man, Jeffries, now before you, on the verge of eternity, desires me to state that he attributes all the crimes which he has committed and which have brought him to his present awful state to the abhorrent vice of drunkenness. He acknowledges the whole of the crimes with which he has been charged and he implores of you all to take warning by him and to avoid the commission of the sin of drunkenness, which infallibly leads on to all other crimes. That's such bullshit. I know. I've been drunk countless times and I've never done any of that stuff. Come on. It's just like blaming, you know, death metal for murdering your grandma. Bullshit. The Reverend read another portion of scripture, then without warning the drop fell and six men were dead. As written in the History of Bushrangers, Volume 1, this world closed upon the wretched men forever. Brady was buried in the old Roman Catholic cemetery and while a stone can did mark his grave, it was removed in the 1870s and today the whereabouts of his remains are unknown. His name is given to Brady's lookout southwest of the Cressy district. Tara, I couldn't find any information on where Jeffries was buried, but I guess I guess no one really gives a fuck. No, I guess really. not. No one cares. <laughs> no, not really. I don't, I don't think no. so. You wouldn't really no. want to kind of go, yeah, he was pretty cool. He was really good at whipping people and being gross. And Well, he was a great flagellator. <laughs> yes, yes, and, you know, baby murderer, rapist, cannibal. all that stuff. Cannibal. Oh, that's right, pointless cannibal. Cannibal for the hell of it. Well, what a story. I know. If you can't eat your friends, who can you eat? <laughs> who said that? You did. Uh, I think it was Jeffries. <laughs> I, I, I have but one question. Yes, Barney? What is Aussie As? Aussie As are tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one, sir? Yes, I would. Alrighty, well, this is kind of a granddad's gone wild. Woo! Edition of Aussie As. Wow, I'm intrigued. You ready for a grandpa to go wild? I am. A bloke named Bruce Bromley was driving in the left lane of the Monash Freeway in Melbourne last May when a 92-year-old pensioner drove his mobility scooter onto the road near him. Now, I'm unsure whether he went onto the freeway by accident or if the old codger was making a break for it. Um, I read some conflicting reports there. But the codger was driving at speeds of 16 kilometres or 10 miles an hour. Oh, slow down, you cantankerous maniac. You're going to roll it. As cars and trucks whiz past him doing the speed limit of 100 kilometres or around 62 miles an hour. Yeah, well, there were snails leaving him in their wake, eating their dust. 
Concerned citizen and good bloke Brucey decided to drive behind the old man with his hazard lights flashing as a warning to other road users like not to run him over. Brucey wound down his window and yelled to the elderly battler, Move over, mate. You're on the freeway. Much to Brucey's surprise, the grandpa gone wild told Brucey to fuck off. He had no, he, he did, well, he had that, just that one fuck left to give and he gave it to Brucey. <laughs> he really did. The whole incident was captured on Brucey's dash cam, as is his uh, pretty hilarious call to emergency services to report the incident. Brucey explained the situation to police on the phone and said, I just told him to try and pull over and he told me to fuck off. The amused phone operator asked Bruce, oh, did he swear at you? Bruce replied, well, he told me to fuck off. Fuck off is swearing, I think. <laughs> now, my favourite bit of this whole story is that Brucey is a tad unsure if fuck off is a swear or not. Australia. Australia. Brucey went on to explain, oh, he's just driving along quite happily. When the police operator told Brucey not to put himself in danger, our Aussie hero replied, well, what do I do? See, if I go around him, uh, he's going to get collected. I don't want him to get hit. Speaking to Seven News, Bruce said, I was just completely shocked. I just told him to try and pull over and he told me to fuck off. It was very aggressive. But at 92, the poor bugger was just confused and a, a bit overwhelmed. If I wasn't there, he would have got collected and I couldn't sleep at night if something like that happened. Ah, oh, Brucey. Good one, Brucey. Soon after Brucey's call, a police car arrived on the scene and the grandpa gone wild was seen waving at police before slowly pulling over. He did respect their authority, <laughs> just not Brucey's. Police confirmed that the man had been reported missing by family members shortly before the incident uh, and police said in a statement, he was taken to Glen Waverley Police Station where he was reunited with his family. Um, so police confirmed that the, the old dude on the scooter, uh, he wasn't going to be charged with anything. They were like, ah, party foul. Don't worry about it, mate. This brings us to the end of the episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews. So thank you to Jessica Cole. Paul Collins. Mia Norris. Tara Lacey. Loretta Mowell. Candy Kane. Omnia Rose Wish. Jennifer Hentz. Erin Pancakes. Mortimer Bustos. <laughs> and Bivalent. All sorted. That's a name. Joe Monty. Barine Morrow. Caleb Pontius. And Trent Sawyer. Wow, that was heaps. Thank you so much, everyone. Oh, and we'd also like to thank Lorraine and our Facebook moderating team. Now, Tara, we love our patrons, and in an attempt to show them how much we do, we're holding monthly giveaways. This month, we have a special prize. Thanks to Studio, we're giving away some Fem Studio Wireless Earbuds. Those Scandinavian geniuses at Studio have done it again. With its wireless design and minimalistic charging case, Fem is the perfect match for any podcasting adventure. They are splash rain, tomato sauce and sweat proof, apparently. <laughs> and they hold a total of 20 hours playtime, six hours in a single charge. FEM also introduces a four microphone system and new touch controls for an enhanced sound quality experience. Hey, baby. It also features the latest Bluetooth 5.0 technology compatible with iOS and Android and up to 10 metres of range. Perfect for murder stories. For Bloody Murder listeners, Studio are offering free worldwide shipping and 15% off with the code BLOODYMURDER15 at checkout. 
So if you want to take advantage of that deal, visit studio.com. For your chance to win a pair of the fabulous Studio FM wireless earbuds, be a Bloody Murder patron at a level above $5. Now, we've had a bunch of new bloody legends join our Patreon program. So thank you to Hayley Runyon, Lara Jag, Kath Fisher. Hi, Kath. You know, Kath's uh, one of our uh, heroes on the front line there. Um, she's working in a hospital. Oh, well done, yeah, Kath. yeah. Kate Veschio. Matt and Bree, they've actually got a podcast of their own, the Distracted and Dysfunctional Podcast. That actually describes us quite well. Emma Gallagher. Renee Rodriguez. And Melissa Priolo. If you would like to support us, visit our website. Or if you just want to buy us a drink. <laughs> so That's my thirsty voice. It's, it's, really, it's, getting, a, it's getting a just bit more buy me scary a drink. By, the, by the week. Every week yeah, I get more and more Buy horrified. me a drink. I'm thirsty. Okay. There's a <laughs> PayPal donate button there too. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saravan. And this is Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcast or our Facebook page. And, of course, rate and subscribe as it does really help us. You can follow us through our Facebook page or join our fantastic Facebook group. On Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod. And on Instagram, we're Bloody underscore Murder underscore Podcast. Check out our website, BloodyMurderPodcast.com, for news, galleries, more episodes and links to our threadless merchandise. Coming soon, bloody murder socks, put them on your walking hands. <gasps> Thanks for sticking around and we'll be back next week. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. So have you bought any other expensive items of cat furniture for your cat to ignore this week? You still haven't sat on it. I know you were going to ask me that. I'm just going to come out with it right now, okay? He hasn't not sat on the cat sofa yet. How long have you had it for now? Obviously, it's over a week because we talked about it last week. Yeah, it's been about a week. Well, it's been over a week. Eight days, all right? Okay, so what do you reckon? Hates his cat sofa not going near it ever? Or are you going to spray it with catnip or something? I think it's just the position of where it is in the house because there are other higher places you can go. Cats like to, uh, to sleep in high places. And this is so, why you, you bought a $2,000 um, elevating ladder for your cat sofa, is that correct? Yes. <laughs> Makes sense. I, I don't know. All right, so there's this, uh, there's this monkey and he's in the jungle and he's up in a tree and he's smoking a joint. So weird! And he, 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 he's having a good time, and he's actually laughing a little bit. It's making him laugh. It's like giggly stuff, so he's... <laughs> like that. Anyway, he's up in the tree, and he's smoking his joint. He's laughing, and a lizard comes along and sees him up there, and he, and he hears the laugh, and he looks up, and he goes, what are you doing up there? And the monkey says, oh, man, I'm smoking this sweet, sweet weed. Yeah, do you want to come and try some? And the lizard went, oh, yeah, sure. So the lizard climbs up the tree, and uh, he sits next uh, to the for monkey. people listening at home, um, to climb the tree, I can see on Skype here, Barney just did the, like, you know, arm motions of the lizard climbing the tree. It's yeah, very so, cool. So the lizard the lizard gets up to the tree and he's smoking some of the... And, and, and the, the, the monkey's he's reaching over to get this joint off the monkey, but the monkey says, hang on a second, I'll just have another bit more. And then he passes it to the lizard and the lizard takes it in his little, his little fingers... <laughs> and, he's, and, he, and he has a big hit of it. <laughs> and he starts laughing too. So they're both laughing up in a the tree there. And then the lizard says to the monkey, oh, man, I'm really thirsty. That's made my, 
that's made my little my little little lizard mouth really dry. So I'm gonna go down a dri- the, the river and have a drink. So he climbs down the tree like this <laughs> with his lizard hands, and he goes to the river and he sticks his head in the river and he's having a drink, but he's so stoned he falls in. And he's splashing around, but he manages to grab a vine and pull himself out of the river. But then his crocodile comes along and he said, what's going on, lizard? You just fell in the river. And he said, oh, yeah, man, I am just ripped. I just, I was smoking, I was smoking this joint with this monkey just over there, up in the tree there. And I was laughing and stuff. And then I came here and I fell in. And a crocodile says, oh, man, I'm going to have to go and check this out. So the crocodile... (laughs) starts going up the path towards the monkey. The monkey looks down. He's still smoking. Just He's right on the roach now. And he's, he looks down at the crocodile and he says, Man, how much water did you drink? <laughs> nice. Hey, I think I can hear um, my girlfriend on the couch snoring. Uh, is she uh, working from home right now? Well, no, it's Good Friday. Do you reckon her snoring's coming through your microphone? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I don't know. That'd be interesting though, wouldn't it? Like you can hear the podcast and you can hear someone snoring in the background. I don't know if that would be like a good indicator of how interesting and entertaining we are. Uh, Well, she's only been hearing half the conversation for the last hour, but it put her to sleep. (laughs) Well, if she ever gets insomnia, you can just read this story to her again, or at least just half of it. When you were growing up, did you see lots of like Australian movies and TV shows? They always had whipping in them. When I was a kid, I don't know, like maybe that was just what they were making at the time, but there was so much convict stuff and there were always lashes, lashes. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they love the whipping. Yeah. I, and Colin Friels was in all of them. Oh, uh, yeah. Not just him. Um, Sigrid Thornton. She would have been around. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's funny, though. I mean, it's not funny. I didn't enjoy it. But I remember my brother like took one of my teddy bears hostage and gave it 50 lashes. And I was about really? six. I was very outraged. It was. It did not commit that crime, and it did not deserve those fifty lashes. Oh no! He thought That's it was awful. hilarious. Well, it's kind of funny. But yeah, it's kind of like um, the Bermuda Triangle and um, quicksand, in that it's one of those things I thought about a lot as a kid, but it hasn't come up much as an adult. No, it hasn't, has it? No. Here's the story of some dudes who were shady, but they wouldn't hurt any women or girls. <laughs> All of them stole lots of shit. <laughs> Like their leader, it was years before Cadbury invented twirls. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. It's the story of a man named Brady who was a good influence on escapees of his own. There were 14 men living all together. I wonder if they ever boned. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. No, you sound like the Artful Dodger and I don't like Can it. Can I come with you? Except now I sound like it too, except like a bored housewife version of it, eh? You sound, you sound more like Nina Cherry. Well, you're always hanging a buffalo stance. I reckon I kind of sound a bit like um. I was watching RuPaul's Drag Race, the British one, and they love talking about, oh, my tuppence. I think I sound like them. Oh, oh no, my I should my tuppence. They say tuppence so often. I almost wanted to say tuppence, but I actually don't think that's me. Two settlers later on. Sorry, it might actually be better if I just shut my curtain. God, make your bloody mind up. Well, it's just with, it's actually. Open the curtain, shut the curtain. I know, it's darker with it shut, but there's something weird about the light of it. Well, let it open a crack. (laughs) I don't know. 
I'm trying open again If for those playing along at home. 20 gallons of rum will be given to any person that will deliver his person onto me. So you actually said that, um, that he would be giving 20 gallons of rum to any person that will deliver his person onto me, which has a slightly different meaning. Like he wants... He like wants a lap dance from Sir George Arthur or something. Yeah, he wants a lap dance. That's how okay. I took it. That's how I read it. Well, that's all right then. If that's what yeah, you yeah, meant, make it that's rain. That's how it came across. Hey, Sir George Arthur, make it rain. <laughs> Jeffries was transferred to Launceston Jail and appointed watch housekeeper and chief flagellator, as in the guy who whipped the other prisoners. Like, come on, you seem like a sadistic asshole. Let's get you up here helping us with that. Yeah. You're an asset to the team. You're an asset to the team. You've got to hit your CPIs or whatever. KPIs? Oh, my God. That so means that you don't have any. Trust me, when you're getting done for your bloody KPIs and lectured about it all the time, you know, you know what letters they are. K for cunt, P for cunt, and I for cunt. Oh, is that right? Yes. <laughs> I, I should get you to teach my kids how to spell. Yeah. <laughs> well, do they know how to make the letter C? Because they're pretty much done. They had they had the intercom on in the room, and they kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. 